Well, I, we, I think we, for whatever reason, the and we, the collective, most of us, I would say, like, and certainly at any given time in my life, I struggle with this thing. But it's like, it's this inability to hold potentially conflicting ideas together. Yeah, but but it's like that. That is it, right? Like you can, and, and going back to the post I think you referenced is like, you know, you can strongly, you know, do, you can do a lot of things that are in your control to strongly influence your sales cycle. And you can also com- acknowledge that like, there's a huge oper- there's a huge chance that it doesn't go at all the way that you planned. And like, that's okay, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's sort of the beauty of, of life and of sales. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Bobby Dysart. Bobby's the creator of Quotalist and he's the head of sales for Compa. And in our conversation today, we talk about a number of things, including quota, constraints, clarity, and understanding. We dig into whether quota is still a relevant measure of sales performance and whether the pursuit of quota leads to bad sales behaviors. We talk about how Bobby believes that since you can't control the future, it's important to just do your best to influence it, then embrace its surprises, which is a healthy attitude to have in sales. We get into why Bobby believes it's important to embrace constraints in your selling and how these constraints can actually be beneficial to you in terms of achieving your goals. And we dive into the importance of clarity in sales. As Bobby says, what really impedes sales performance and keeps sales numbers down is that your customers don't understand you. So how do you make them understand you? Well, we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Bobby, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And I also want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern, human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without resorting to the salesy behaviors that your buyers universally hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Good to be here. Great pleasure to see you again. We just saw each other on your your podcast not that long ago. I know. It's uh, it's nice to be coming on to uh, a show where I know the host is very seasoned. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've fooled people so far. Uh, That's right. That's right. In a thousand, thousand fifty episodes. We're still learning. Hopefully we'll get it one of these days. Yeah. So, well, good. Well, so tell people a little bit about you and what you do. Oh, man, I think that changes by the day. <laughs> but, well, yeah, based on what you said, I think it is going to change by the day, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for my whole career, I've definitely been in tech sales and predominantly tech sales leadership and have veered towards early stage startups. So uh, pre-seed, seed, series A, um, a, a couple bouts there in like uh, in pre-IPO and, and post-IPO, but predominantly mm-hmm. hanging out in tech startups and Three years ago, I went into business for myself, uh, offering my services on a fractional basis. So like a part-time yep. VP. To, yeah, been there, done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually like five or six clients at a time on retainer. And um, man, it's it's been a wonderful three years. 
Uh, last year, I took a little bit of a hiatus to write my first book, start a podcast, newsletter, you know, flex my creative chops, and then, uh, mm-hmm. and then as we were talking about, um, starting a new gig, uh, diving in the deep end with, a, uh, with one of my clients full-time as head of sales starting Monday. So you're, you're you're the first person I've told that to, and uh, <laughs> yeah, well, by the time this comes out, this will be about four weeks till this comes out. But yeah, you'll be a seasoned vet at that that company. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting career path. I might very similar to mine, except yeah, I'm sort of shifted some number of years. But um, yeah, sort of, I was the sort of five to a hundred million guy. That was sort of my my sweet spot. But uh, yeah, come in early. Build revenue teams, uh, take companies public, and then yeah, go do a bunch of fractional work before writing my first book. So uh, I'm just I'm literally just learning from you as you go. So just keep leaving little breadcrumbs for me to figure <laughs> out breadcrumbs. Yeah, <laughs> where I'm going in my in my life. Well, I, I I don't know. I really liked I really liked the fractional VP work. I mean, that was uh, yeah, first company I did it for. Yeah, I was running sales for two days a week for this company. And, you know, we doubled sales. I mean, all of my clients that I did that for, we ended up exiting with a, an acquisition. Um, it was sort of part of the, the plan all along. But, yeah, it's fun work. So, so much, man. I mean, it's – I'd say I've gone through, you know, a few different cycles of, like, really obsessed with it to, like – getting it fine tuned. And then now most recently I was a little burned out and we can talk more about that, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think early on and still now, like I wish it's something I'd done a long time ago. Um, I've learned so much about myself, so much about other teams, um, mm-hmm. you know, the difference in opportunities and like the nuances of, of working with different founders and on different products and different markets that just is like, you know, you couldn't get this at any college, right? It's just, uh, nor like 10 years of experience at like two companies. I feel like I packed into like two or three years, you know? Absolutely. Well, so let's dive into that a little bit. So when you, you know, take on a new client or took on a new client as fractional VP, excuse me, what are things you'd focus on first? Well, so for me, I, I, so I've ran all of my clients on a month to month basis. Um, mm-hmm. cause I, I just was like, from the jump, I was like, I want you to be, I want it to be, be dead obvious that I'm adding a ton of value and I want us to be able to break up like very easily. No, no, you know, no questions asked, no, no pain involved. Right. Um, and well, I'm smiling when you say that because that's exactly the way I operated too, which was month to month. There you go. If you don't like what I'm doing next month, I'll be gone. But my average engagement was three and a half to four years. There you go, right? And, yeah. then, and that's how it's been yeah. for me. Um, I had one client uh, span across. I think my longest one was two and a half years. And yeah, the, I did have COVID. Um, you know, throw a little bomb in some of my plans. I, I did lose like half yeah. my clients in one week <laughs> during yeah. the yeah. during the height yeah. of the pandemic. But but yeah, so so. You know, the, the I think there, there's some there's some real positive and some real challenges to that dynamic. For me, what it caused me to do is right away is like, all right, how can I add value as quickly as possible? Meaning, and for me, it's like dollars in the bank. 
mm-hmm. right? So, and, and, and these, I'm like, I'm really early stage. Sometimes I'm working with just the founder um, and then trying to hire that first or second sales salesperson. So some right. of these folks are less than, you know, less than a million in revenue aiming to get to, you know, four or 5 million. Right. Mm-hmm. And so early on, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's how can I either get a current pipeline deal across the line, maybe help that founder through handling objections, et cetera. How can I um, help them replicate or even find their ideal client? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, help them source, right? Like it's, I think it was really interesting and, and it, it spoke well to my strengths or it suited my strengths is like, I, I can get really scrappy and I can make, yep. um, you know, with few sort of moves, I can get some revenue across the line in short order. And what I found is like entrepreneurs just love that, right? Like they, they're surrounded by a lot of people trying to, I think, take from them, right? Take money from mm-hmm. them and, and, and sort of latch on to any sort of success that they have. Whereas I'm just coming right. in and I'm like, watch out. I'm just going to, I'm going to at least get you 50 grand across the line and, and pay for the next, you know, several months of my service. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, the companies I worked with were, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit bigger. I usually serve in that uh, $5 million range. Yeah. But they were companies that had sales teams, but had sort of stalled out. Right. Right. They sort of lost the recipe, whatever they did early on wasn't working anymore. And yeah, I was thinking about this. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. It was just like, what I focused on was, was how can I help the individual sellers get some quick successes, yeah. right? Because oftentimes they come in and find that they're just sort of lacking confidence. You know, direction, you know, lacking direction as well. Uh, oftentimes because the leadership was a little weak on the front. But I found that if you could get people that sometimes even the company had given up on. Cause a lot of times you come and talk to CEOs and they're sort of saying, well, yeah, I've got these weak players and we'll probably have to move them on and so on. I actually found oftentimes, yeah, you could help those people quite a bit, give them a sense of confidence quickly and helping them close some deals, get some quick wins uh, and start building on that. Yeah, no. And, and that's, that's really where you can make your mark very quickly is just, either turning around one individual or making one individual that much more successful than he or she already is like Mm -hmm. that, you know, that was again, something that suited my strengths really well was that like narrow focus. Um, and what I was constantly surprised is like how far a little bit of energy, a little bit of guidance, a little tactic that they had never thought of can go. Um, Mm -hmm. because, these aren't well-oiled sales machines at this point, right? No. They're, um, you said so, scrappy. Yeah, sometimes these founders, like they've never made a sales call or the only sales that they've done is is the money that they've raised. And, you know, some of the people they hire are like just folks that are interested in the startup, maybe just fresh out of college or um, maybe new to software, but uh, not new to the industry. Mm-hmm. And so you can just give them a little... A little bit of focus, a little bit of encouragement, uh, a little bit of confidence, and the numbers go up. Yeah, a situation I oftentimes found, especially in some of the, you know, these are scale-up mode with entrepreneurs, is that the entrepreneur had their fingerprints on too much of the revenue, mm. right? So they're trying to build a, you know, a growth engine <clears throat> for revenue, but 
the entrepreneur was in the middle of too much of it. Yeah. And part of it was, in some cases, maybe by, by necessity, but other times the entrepreneur having a hard time letting go. Mm-hmm. And um, that was always an interesting, interesting challenge. Yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the first sort of marketing phrases that came out of um, just the work that I was doing was transitioning from a founder-led sale to an executive-led sale. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're right, like these founders are doing all kinds of things. And, you know, if the, if the goal is to become a series A company, a series B company, you know, t- in the tens, twenties, 30 millions of dollars in terms of ARR, mm-hmm. it's like every deal can't go through you. <laughs> just, it's just not nope. physically possible. So, um, and that, that sort of transitional period of like passing the baton and, and trust to um, to other teammates, to salespeople, uh, is really really tough for the entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, I'd find cases where I'd, I'd map it out and look at percentages mm-hmm. that it wasn't unusual for the entrepreneur to have impact on fifty percent of the revenue, mm-hmm. and the goal is always so. How do we get that down to ten? Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. What's interesting is it it is a fine line, especially for like where, where I'm at. I'm actually going to have this conversation with um, the founder of my um, new company, your new new employer, right? Like, so they're, you know, we're, we're, we're talking, we're, we're charging towards that first seven figures. Um, Yeah. And he, he, in, he, in, you know, for better, for worse, in a lot of ways is the current product. Aside mm-hmm. from like, it actually is a really good software, but he's just such a good domain expert, expert right. that like he gets us meetings and with good reason. He, you know, he's a strategic um, partner in a lot of ways. And so, um, yes, while we need to charge as quickly as we can towards myself, the two salespeople um, sort of taking that revenue off of his plate, there's also this like beautiful time, I'd say probably for the next year the rest of the year where um, if we use him to enhance our revenue, like it's a really, really good thing. Yeah. N- next year we got to really like tear him out of there. Um, but for right now it's like, no, let's use it. Let's, let's sell him. Let's sell his skill set. Let's use right. him to get into meetings. And it's, it's a really interesting balance um, where obviously you can get to the point where I think you and I are referencing where it's too much of a good thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your, your newsletter and podcast that you, you put out called Quota List. I'm sort of intrigued by the title. What was what was the the meaning behind the title of Quota Less? Well, I guess we'll start with the history of the newsletter and podcast itself. So I actually started it in actually like New Year's Eve of twenty twenty. Um you you know Chris Decker, right? Yeah, yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, so I had um, I had written the first draft of my book. I think I had gotten it edited, and I was like, "Man, I need." I think once I get this thing published, I'm gonna need an audience of sorts <laughs> to sell it to. And I'd really never gone down that road of building an audience, and so I was like, "Let's let's start yeah. a newsletter on the subject of living with intention." So. At, mm-hmm. at that time, the newsletter was called Student of Intention, and Chris had convinced me. I asked, I actually asked him to help me record the audio portion of the book, and in that discussion, he convinced me to do a podcast. 
Um, and we, on, on New Year's Eve, we recorded the first episode of the Student of Intention podcast. And so I've been recording the podcast and writing newsletter um, every week on, on Tuesdays for since then. So um, mm-hmm. I guess that's, uh, you know, a year and a half, give or take. And uh, <clears throat> transition to quota list uh, just maybe two months ago, three months ago, which is really hard to do. You know, just, I don't know, giving up one baby to, you know, sure, sure. bring in another. But at the same time, like the reason I wanted to switch to quotaless is I wanted to, I, I didn't do a good job of answering the question, who is this for? Um, I would say in my first iteration, in mm-hmm. my second iteration, I was like, I definitely want to focus on my uh, software professional uh, community. And right. I want to bring this idea of, you know, of mindset, of, um, of mindfulness, of living with intention, et cetera. Um, and bring it into the world of sales and quotaless was actually the second name I thought of selling with intention was the first name. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was sort of buried in this, in this woman who wrote a book called selling with intention. And I was in a little, little conversation with her over LinkedIn. She wasn't giving it up. And, and so on a, on a, on a five mile run, I believe, um, just the idea of this, of quotaless as a name. Uh, sort of dropped into my into my brain and and it felt right and and you know the idea well, of it I guess in general is or sorry go ahead yeah. well I was gonna say what 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 does the title mean to you so it means a lot of things I mean I I would say the the the, the first thing that I that I think comes to mind is this idea that um, you know as sellers we think like our life just gets so much better when we hit quota and I think we have it in reverse. <laughs> When our life is so good and it's great and we're feeling like our most authentic selves, mm-hmm. quota happens. Like quota just takes care of itself. It's it's really no big deal. Um, and so by that definition, I like I actually want us to sort of embrace this idea of being quotalessness. <laughs> quotalessness, yes. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not we're not necessarily focused on. We're not just dying for this outcome. We're more focused on like getting the most out of the journey and the outcome again sort of takes care of itself. Yeah. No, I, I, I interpret it when I read it different, but I mean, is that as people do. So I'm curious, how did you interpret it? Well, but when you're acting with intention, which is obviously inherent in a lot of what I write about is being intentional and life, yeah, you take care of uh, life first. That, not that quota happens, but that performance happens. Yeah. And, yeah, quota, yeah, so what? I mean, I, I think we got a whole discussion about whether quotas are even relevant anymore. I mean, there's, you need to have targets of some sort, but I'm not sure they're the, the relevant target. But, yeah, to yeah. your point, when you're in alignment, and when you're acting with intent on all fronts, then yeah, performance happens. You enable yourself to perform at higher levels. That's right. And, you know, and writing the book, the five buckets, you know, framework for living with intention, writing all those newsletters about um, intention and just all the people I interviewed in the last year and a half, all the things I've studied, I, I've just really been obsessed with this idea of living with intention. Um, 
And in doing so, like one of the big recurring themes, and I don't know if this is because of my sales background or or what, but it's just been like, man, I've had it all wrong this whole time. I've just been obsessed with these outcomes. Mm-hmm. And and it's just not about that. Like the outcomes again sort of take care of themselves. And I've it's like I've tried to rewire my brain over the last year and a half to you know, be focused on the small things, um, the experiences, the day-to-day moments, you know, being present, et cetera. And, and again, from, you know, a commercial perspective, like things have, things have gone okay. Things have taken care of themselves. I haven't just like drastically reduced my production as a, as a human or a sales professional. No, I, I mean, you, you talk about in one of your newsletters, this idea about control and, and really acknowledging the fact that we have as sellers, we have very little control over, over events. Um, we have control over what we do, but, um, you know, the best we can try to do is, is influence Mm. the course of events. Uh, and I think this is a difficult mindset for most sellers to adopt because there is this, you know, quota every month and, and there's, they're taught about, you know, you have to control the buyer and control your prospects, control the sales cycle, which, yeah, I learned early in my career was just a huge myth. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a life myth too, man. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's true as well. Yeah. We, we have kids. You, you learn that very quickly. Yeah. 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 We get, yeah, I, I don't know where it's taught or where it's learned or what, but like we, we think if we squeeze hard enough on, onto something, it, you know, we'll keep it, you know, um, it'll be done our way. Life will unfold how we see fit. Right. Um, well, but but there's also this idea that goes along with that, that, that you just talked about is, is that we have to act a certain way to make things happen. Mm. And, you know, we have to assume this, this role, this character. And again, something I write specifically about in, in my book, Sell Without Selling Out. But, but you know, just as like this week on LinkedIn, I, I put this post because something I believe I said, you know, it costs you absolutely nothing to be a good person. And it was sort of shocking some of the comments I got in response to that. These people was like, you know, wow, that's really a controversial thing to say. Or, uh, or it's like, well, no, you have, you know, if you're a good person, you sacrifice your ambition and your achievement and your ego. And it's like, what are you talking about? Mm. Right. I mean, no, (laughs) no. I mean, the way you're going to succeed and be more fulfilled is, is to be yourself. Yeah. Well, I, we, I think we, for whatever reason, the and we, the collective, most of us, I would say, like, and certainly at any given time in my life, I struggle with this thing. But it's like, it's this inability to hold potentially conflicting ideas together. Cognitive dissonance, yes. Yeah, but but it's like that. That is it, right? Like you can, and, and going back to the post, I think you referenced is like. You know, you can strongly, you know, do, you can do a lot of things that are in your control to strongly influence your sales cycle. And you can also acknowledge that like, there's a huge, there's a huge chance that it doesn't go at all the way that you planned. 
and like right. that's okay, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's sort of the beauty of of life and of sales. It is, you said, embrace the surprises. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd written in the past about this story of of sitting on a train. I was hopping on a train going to from New York City to Boston and, and uh, Amtrak, and just before the doors closed, some young guy clearly looks like a sales salesperson. <laughs> Uh, plops in the rushes in, plops in the seat in front of me. It was the last day of the month. And he gets on this call and he's clearly talking to his sales manager. And I, I just hear him saying, being very defensive about something and then saying, yeah, but the buyers were just liars. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, you invested just a little too much of yourself in that one. I mean, it's great to be invested in your deals. You want to be invested in your deals, but you have to maintain, and to your point, a sense of reality about there are things that are going to happen that are outside your control. And uh, you have to take responsibility for those as well. Yeah, I I don't know why this is. I'm curious to get your take. I mean, um, it's really easy to be open-minded to the lack of control when uh, I think a good phrase that gets thrown around a lot is bluebird. Right when like yes. when a deal yeah. lands in your lap, you don't start getting angry because that's not in your control. Like when a customer that you mm, prospected for months and months and months and sort of gave up on, and six months later just rings your phone and says, "Hey, yeah, ready to buy." You know, right. you don't say like, "Oh man, like I, I didn't have control. I didn't know that was coming." Like, oh darn, no, you you revel in that surprise. You're really really stoked. And yet, um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see that getting acknowledged very much. What, what about in your in your world? Oh yeah, people hate to acknowledge the role of luck in sales, <laughs> and which is crazy because there's a huge element of luck in sales. Um, to the the story you you just talked about, you know, uh, Bluebird coming in, or the second scenario you talked about is, you know, somebody you dealt with this happened to me a lot. You deal with somebody, you to get a certain way down the process, whatever happens, you know, they have a change of, you know, heart or the new person brought on board, the buying process gets interrupted, but they come back, you know, six months later and said, yeah, I think we're ready to go. Was that hard work? Was that luck? Uh, you know, yeah, there's elements of all of that in there. I mean, just just the fact that you happen to out, reach out to a prospect at a time when they were considering making a change. You even some of that's that's fortuitous. I think it's okay. You have to be. What is it? Uh, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. That is not a quote. I think somewhere, and I think that's that's you know a great way of putting it. Is yeah, when the opportunity presents itself, are you prepared to? to respond and, and do a great job, do the job the buyer needs. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that, yeah, you didn't anticipate it. That's right. That's right. Like that's, that's where it says, you know, embrace the surprises, right? Like set yourself up to even have that happen and, you know, be okay with the fact that it's not on your timetable, right? Like, yeah. It's, well, it, I remember it one deal like, yeah, a big deal in my career once was like, company that put out this huge RFP that was for a big system and we got the RFP but we were a new company we couldn't even 
couldn't even think about responding to it, right? It was so far beyond our abilities. But like two years later, they still hadn't purchased. And we were further along. And we were probably still on the small side in terms of responding to what they wanted. But I reached out to the buyer and said, yeah, I noticed you hadn't really made a decision. What's, are you still open? <laughs> yeah, they were. And we ended up getting us this big deal. But um, was that luck that they hadn't made a decision the first time around? I mean, yeah, sort of. I mean, ideally, theoretically, that market opportunity would have been off the table. So, but we were prepared at that point and to seize the opportunity. Yeah, I, I think sellers have to stop freaking out and thinking that trying to paint themselves as, you know, this deal would never happen because of, unless because of me. Um, I don't know. Every big deal I won, I was just part of a team. You know, I didn't develop the product. I didn't support the product. I, you know, I go down the list of people that contributed to making it happen. Yeah, one of one of the things I keep anchoring around now, and I try to anchor my team around. Um, I've done it a little bit in the past, but I'm like really, really obsessed with this idea now. Is that like just nothing happens without the customer, right? Like nothing happens without a really mm -hmm. awesome partner, awesome customer. Like, period. Like, it doesn't matter what I can do. It really just doesn't. It doesn't matter how good the product is, how good my team is. Nothing happens without an awesome customer. Um, yeah, I, I have one really good story. This, this was early days. So, uh, my first sales job, uh, door to door sales guy, phone and internet, mm -hmm. B2B phone and mm -hmm. internet. Um, I think I was like six months in and by this time, like I was, I was kind of one of the, I was one of the hot shot top guns, you know, I was like, it's yeah. kind of a big deal. And, uh, I, and one thing that I pride myself in is I always took in my commits, you know, my commits. They used to joke, they were like, oh, Bobby's commit, it's signed in blood, right? Like, it's coming in. Yeah. And yeah. I had committed two deals on the last day of the month. And I had four appointments, two closing appointments. Like, I was like, I'm getting this done. And my two closing appointments canceled before I even hit the field. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the ones that I knew were coming in said, hey, man, like, this is pushing the next month, like, for whatever reason. And, uh, I drive out to my territory. I'm like... I'm just super bummed. I'm like, man, this is, this is brutal. Um, I call my third appointment, which is at like two o'clock and just, I'm like, Hey, are you going to be there? And they're like, no, nah, actually it's Friday. It's Halloween. Like I'm not going to make it. So, right. <laughs> so I'm down to one appointment. It's with this electrical company. Um, it's Halloween night. It's Friday at like three o'clock. And, uh, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to show up to this guy's place and see what happens. And I, so I drive over there and I sit down with the owner and I didn't know this when I'd set the appointment. This is a first appointment. He has two locations and <laughs> I just sit down with him. I'm, I'm beaten down at this point. I'm like not feeling really, you know, good about myself, but I, but I showed up and I'm just grateful to be there. And I go, Hey man, like just, just, you know, heads up, like we can do this meeting, you know, next week and. Um, you know, pro probably won't make any difference to you. To me, this is my last day of the month. I know it's Halloween night. I know you just met me, but, um, you know, if, if I show you something good and you like it, like, are you open to signing this thing tonight? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, that's why I'm here. You know, if it looks good, I'll, I'll make a move. I'm like, all right. 
And so I'm prepared to just have this, I just have this really open, like really friendly conversation. He was originally from Ohio. I was from Ohio. This is in Gardena, California at the time. And by the end of it, he signs on both of his locations and like 50 cell phones. It was like a really big deal, good deal. And um, I ended up getting my commits in and going off and having a great time with the team at a, like a Halloween party that night. And it was just like, you know, I, I could handle this one of two ways. Like I go back in and I could be the guy, you know, I could be awesome and like think a lot of myself, but no, I just remember being so grateful about that owner. Like he was the guy who yeah. saved my day, made my Halloween night and it had, you know, I had to show up. I had to talk to him. I had to get really honest. But at the end of the day, it's because he was in a really good mood. He was super open-minded to making a change. And, and ultimately, that's that's what uh, that's what made the success happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always a, always a combination of factors. And, yeah, the humility and gratitude you need to have for everybody else that's part of it. And the buyer's part of the team. I always look at the buyer as being part of the team. Um, yeah. We don't succeed on our own. We don't fail on our own in any dimension. So, yeah, being humble about it is a great approach. Um, so what was that first job? Who were you selling for? It was a company called Sea Beyond, which was, this is, have you ever heard of that name? No. So they don't exist anymore. They got acquired by a, a communications company called Birch several mm -hmm. years ago, but they were, um, just a reseller of, of AT&T communications and Cisco like got equipment it. and right. It was a it was a sales it was a sales company like to the just to the nines like mm -hmm. had to wear a suit every day they had a script for everything like there's a script on how to go to the bathroom like the first day I signed up like <laughs> I showed up and it was it was definitely an interesting way to come into the sales world and um, you know I learned a lot of things that are good and helpful I learned a lot of things that are not helpful but <laughs> well so what were what were examples of each. So, um, the, the power of training, um, is definitely the number one, I think, um, thing that I learned that I keep taking with, um, with me. Um, like they, they were super regimented about training. Like every day mm -hmm. we had to show up at seven 30 and we did 30 minutes called rookie role play in your first 90 mm -hmm. days. And, and it was beautiful. It was really beautiful to watch like 30 people, you know, 30 people in their twenties, like gather around and like talk about like the most focused parts of a sales cycle. You know, just the right. introductory, introductory phrase, the like qualifying questions, mm -hmm. you know, demoing the solution, et cetera. Like, so definitely the power of training. And that's something I've always installed at my organizations and my, um, my consulting clients that seems to be like a real magic wand. Like people are really obsessed when I get a good culture around like training 30 minutes once a week. So mm -hmm. that's, that's probably, um, the number one, I'd say the number two is development of mid-level management. They were just, they had a craft um, out of developing those like early stage managers, those like, you know, sales managers and sales directors mm -hmm. that I think is really what plagues series A, series B companies, tech companies. They, they may even oh, have the leadership right and they may have some of the like sellers at the bottom right, but that mid-level management always yep. seems to be missing. 
Well, and it's not the fault of the individuals. They're just not enabled the way they need to be. That's right. And we talked about this a little bit on the podcast, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And I talked about this with Kevin Dorsey, right? But but that was one thing I learned and I learned how to do it. Um, you know, I had a great leader, a guy named Dominic Maraglia. And he just, he looked at it as, he had two jobs. He had, you know, the, the, the sort of vision for the branch and trying to like, um, you know, point everybody in the direction and, and helping especially the new folks and then training the managers to be great managers. And he looked at it as a completely different, skill set a completely different job mm-hmm. um so that was that was definitely the uh i think that the, the two really good things so the negatives <laughs> the negatives mm. uh, let's see uh i mean th- th- there were definitely the probably the worst when it came to like i'd I, like the worst example of both micromanagement like and, and how ugly it can get mm-hmm. uh, and just like robotic sales efforts, just like complete, like used car salesman tactics, like calling from the seed. And like, even when a buyer just says like, I'm completely uninterested, like the, we were held like accountable, to like calling to the seed, calling your manager and like saying, Hey, is there anything else we can do today to earn your business? Like just these very like short sighted tactics and, um, you know, closing car salesman. Yeah, closing so hard for like two times on every single phone call, regardless if there's like fit interest or otherwise. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, just uh, like I, I mean, the the faults I think could all run under that just like that old school sales mentality. But there's probably like I don't know, fifteen things that that uh, were behaviors that we did. Selling out, <laughs> selling out, problem. selling out in its <laughs> most, I think its purest form. In purest form, yes, yeah. Well, I mean, we all all have been forced to do it at some point or another in our careers, I think. So, yeah, I've got horror stories of my own, um, which are part of what you know, set me on the path to say, yeah, no more. Um, but, yeah, extreme pressure to close things that <sighs> customers just didn't want to. <laughs> and yeah, you, know, you end up giving the product away. Yeah, and there's uh, there's two things. In my case, in my case, you know, a lot of the a lot of the stories emanated from my boss, you know, mid level manager, having a bonus program or a sales competition going on, and being bound and determined they were going to get their bonus regardless. Yeah. Yeah. No, there there's two things that uh, I read in your book that just really reminded me of this really insanity and it was it was one like you said in the book like you'd asked yourself like what human does these things right like this this doesn't feel like natural human (laughs) stuff and you could see it on all of our like 25 year old faces like we would just be saying these things that we knew we were supposed to but like just didn't feel right at all and um yeah you know, and then the second thing was just how, for whatever reason, the last like three days of the month, like as a buyer, you literally could get away with murder. You could like, you could get the deal cut in half. Like it was just, mm-hmm. it was just markedly different purchase price and purchase terms on the last three days of the month. And it was like, and then two days would go by and, and it was very firm. They were like, no, that's like the end of month deal. And it's like, well, they wait 27 more days like it'll be back again yeah 
yeah, yeah, it's those behaviors just, I don't know, they're sort of like at a animal level, uh, you know, primal level where we act that way because it makes no sense, right? Is, you know, to, yes, everybody needs to hit their numbers. We want to hit your numbers. But you look at the margin given away the last three days of the month and you ask, you can ask the CEO, you can ask the managers themselves. So what's, uh, what's the ROI on that, that discount you're giving? You know, to bring that deal into Friday for Monday, what, what's, what's the payback on that? There never is, right? All right. It's just what we do. Oh. We don't even think about it. Oh. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right, well, tell us a little bit about uh, this, this new opportunity you're going to. What are you going to be selling? So it's, you know, the big grand vision of the, uh, the founder, his name is Charlie Franklin. Uh, the company's called Compa. Uh, the big vision is pay transparency um, across uh, particularly big, um, you know, successful enterprise orgs, and the way that he you know, he's sort of leaning into that idea. Is, and, and by the way, like pay transparency can mean a ton of things, right? Yeah. What's this? I was just reading an article today about it. How I think two states so far have passed laws saying that when you post jobs, you have to publish the high and the low salaries within the, for the position. You say published based the, you have to disclose the range. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, you know, pay transparency is definitely out in the ether and it means a lot of things to a lot of you know, different people and different companies, you know, but for us, we see it as capturing data from candidates and from the market, um, using that data to have, open conversations about mm -hmm. the value of work and the value mm -hmm. of positions and um, having a more dynamic pay strategy, right? A smarter way to, um, to pay people as opposed to, you know, doing it sort of without data or once a year, right. doing it a little bit more consistently, a little bit more along the lines um, of what the market dictates. Hmm. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I think this idea of transparency, I said in this article, is, I mean, it's not just companies are sensitized. It's in the ether. Like I said, governments are looking at it, requiring companies to be transparent about the ranges they pay for, for particular jobs. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, good, good luck on that. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Excited. Yeah, you should be. So, um, yeah, we'll have you back and you can fill us in on your journey and how it went. In the meantime, though, if people want to subscribe to your newsletter, listen to your podcast, uh, what should they do? Quotaless.io. Uh, Quotaless.io. Uh, newsletter is free. Uh, it's 300 words uh, each Tuesday. Uh, Very concise. Yeah, to help you master your, your mind, your business, and your time. Um, so please do that. Sign up for that. Um, there's also the podcast, and then uh, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. That's Bobby Dysart, D-Y-S-A-R-T. Perfect. All right, Bobby, thanks so much. Thank you. This is great. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Bobby Dysart, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could 
Also, leave us a rating or a review. Let us know how we're doing. Well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.